Welcome to the Three Old Goalies Podcast, a delusion group podcast. The Three Old Goalies are brought to you by thesquad.com because everybody loves the W. Check out the squad for all your recruiting needs. Music for the show is provided by the Floodgate Operators. Be sure to check them out on Apple Music or Spotify. The Three Old Goalies Podcast is not for goalkeepers under the age of 17. And now we send you over to Boa, Evie, and Bone, the Three Old Goalies. We're tuning in to the Three Old Goalies Podcast. I am Evie along with the Three Old Goalies, John Boa and Greg Deutsch. Uh, tonight's guest is Dave Rubinson, a friend of ours who we've known for decades. Uh, and he will hopefully be sharing with us some uh, insight into U.S. soccer and, and where Everything seems to be headed. Uh, Dave coached for years at uh, Texas Christian University and has, has been, I was thinking this morning or this afternoon, Bone, uh, you know, that we have occasionally, well, not occasionally, we have a lot of guys on the podcast who truly helped build the sport at various levels in the United States. And Dave is a guy who truly helped build the sport collegiately and uh, particularly in a lot of the ODP and regional programs throughout the United States, obviously through U.S. soccer. So we're, we're, we're happy to have him and uh, welcome to the show, Coach. Uh, I hope it doesn't rub off on you and people are like, what the hell are you doing on that show? But, you know, uh, you know, we are glad you are here um, uh, and, and we look forward to it. Uh, as again, again, let me just reiterate that the three old goalies sometimes, uh, because we're old and because we're, we're sort of the get off our lawn, get off our lawn guys, uh, it can, it can get salty. And, um, we, we encourage people to, uh, listener discretion is advised. So without further ado, uh, Greg, I will turn it over to you to introduce our special guest tonight. All right. Well, we have first John Boa. I want to make sure, like, did you have a beer with David, you know, like 20 years ago or anything like that before I get started? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I don't think I've ever met Coach Rubinson. Okay. All right. Hi, Coach. However, however, Bob, however, however, I believe yeah. that the yeah. regional camp that we, where we, you and I met was at TCU, and I'm sure Coach was involved with that either as the host or as a coach or both most likely both There's, yeah 1985 oh, where you were no, come with joe 1985 i was 16 Aaron, and that's where you were with joe Waters. yep no it, it was uh we we had the regional camp uh john Ring cutting, was the regional coach um, oh okay can we we good we good can you hear me he's frozen okay all right Yep, I think Bone's frozen too. Oh, Greg, Greg, Greg is fine. <laughs> no, he was just yeah. that, that was when uh, Joe Macknick had he had a no, but Joe had his uh, first. That was the first year they did their goalkeeper camp at, and they came to TCU, and it was right. the same time that um, the regional camp was going on. Right. Yeah. Right. And I yeah, and I was there with the, for the regional camp because so John Rennie was yeah, and John Rennie was a regional coach, and I was working at Duke, so. Uh, he said, come down to the goalkeepers. So that's right. And that's where I met young John Boa from Mississippi, who was getting shelled and um, on a regular basis. And, you know, so that's how that, that whole thing started. So everything in the three old goalies is, is, is related to almost got fired that year. Who did? 
Yeah. You, <laughs> I think I almost got fired that summer um, because the equipment manager told us we could use the practice football field when Pat Sullivan was a football coach. And I said, we can. I didn't even ask to use it. Anyway, he got back in town and saw people down on there. And I don't remember if it was my camp or number one camp or Joe's camp or regional camp. But I got called into the AD's office and I mean, I almost got fired for that. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah. It, I survived it a different. It. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, Greg, sorry. We're, we've delayed right, you again. Okay. Sorry. All right. So, John Bowie, you always like these numbers that you follow after me. So we're going to blow you away with this one. Coached 784 games. That's a lot. That's a lot of games. That is a ton of games. That's a ton of games. I did? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable. David Rubens, well, I mean, all at TCU. I, I tell you, though, well, that um, is, I have to tell you, when, when we had a parting of the ways at TCU, when, when we had a parting of the ways at TCU, my wife and I added up all the number of games I'd coached, both men and women. And it was, I thought it was 900 and so whatever the number was. And I said, how many did we win? And I think it was like 192 or something. I said, we won that many. <laughs> so anyway, uh, we didn't it, have a whole lot back then. It, it was 292, Coach, that you won. How about that? 292. Oh, ooh, almost won yeah. 300. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, Dave, tell us. Not sure where you came bit. up with that, but anyway. Uh, share, you know, you just mentioned that TCU honored you. Um, and it was the Dave Rubinson Legacy Night last September. And yep. you got the key to TCU. Now, I've heard of giving a key to the city. Right, the mayor gives you the you know, like walk us through how and what this is and what it means. I mean, you know, I'm keeping this tradition, Ryan. I got the Texas, the because he's from Texas, Ryan. Of course, I got the colors, horn frogs with purple. I told you before I go on, Ryan, I told you I'd have something giant. Um, how about uh. that? Andre oh, the Giant. And that's just because Ryan that that week was at WrestleMania with his kid. He was watching it. He had a great time. So Sweet. I told you I'd present something giant. Anywho, uh, <laughs> Coach, so back to what is the key to TCU? I mean, that is, that's a pretty, pretty outstanding uh, night it must have been. Well, it, you know, it, it truly was a special night. Um, I didn't even, I didn't expect that. I, you know, um, this was a long time. And the way we, had the party it was kind of fun after all that uh, new athletic director came in and um, we were really close to having, he dropped the men's program after 2002, which I started in 81 with just the men part-time. And then we added the women and I called Anson and said, well, what do you think? Because he had offered me 22000 the athletic director. It came time to sign. I don't even know if I signed the contract. It was 20000 I called Anthony. Yeah, it's okay. So I went ahead and did it. But I mean, it's the best decision I ever made. Uh, my kids got their education there. 
I love Fort Worth, love TCU. And uh, anyway, when we had the parting of the ways with the, another athletic director, when he walked into our meeting uh, and we'd had lunch one day and we were so close to getting it right on the women's side, we'd had, uh, we had four kids coming off Dallas Texans who are one of the top teams in the country. Then we had a starting forward for the Icelandic full national team coming. Anyway, we knew if we could get to the corner, we'd be okay. Well, we didn't get to it. And, uh, he walks into the meeting and um, he said, uh, look, you're 24 years. You really have no consistent pattern of success. So we're going another direction. And I kind of started laughing because it was, we had no scholarships for the men. No, we had two and a half for two years. And then we, 10 years before we had any for the women, then we started doing it three at a time. So as you're going forward, you're still going backwards because you're upsetting a lot of kids uh, as you're trying to program. So anyway, uh, but um, for them to do that was really, really special. Our kids all went to school there. Our oldest son was a two-time All-American golfer, represented the United States twice through golf. And um, for them to do that for me, I had kids come back from Ohio, Washington State, um, you know, and around here. Uh, so it was it was truly special. It really was. I don't know what the key to the university is, though, but um, uh, it made me feel welcome at least. <laughs> yeah. Now, obviously, you're from that area. You, you played at the Pasquala High School, and then you played at TCU. You were, you were a defender there, um, and then you got right into coaching. What, like, how did that transpire? What was the journey? Well, I mean, it was like you're done your senior year, and then take, you're taking over a program. It didn't work exactly like that. Um, I, um, it's funny how our sport intertwines people, right? And I didn't start playing soccer till I was 14, but when I started, nobody played. And that was back in the mid sixties. We started showing the ASL and D and what was the guys? Danny Blanchard, I think was one of the announcers. You're too young, Greg, I think. But, um, <laughs> anyway, and a mother went out and bought a ball and we went down into Spark and started playing soccer. There were a couple of soccer fields down there. We got an Austrian coach. We got a Hungarian coach. People drove by, obviously not knowing what we were doing. Uh, and then we got an Englishman that um, became our coach. He, he taught at a uh, private school here in Fort Worth. And so he was our first real coach. And we had another gentleman. Um, uh, where was Mohammed? And Ben Barker was from um Morocco. So we, you know, people, they'd see us and I had an Egyptian coach along the way, but, um, I 19, let's see. Uh, I went back to TCU to play in 1973, fall 1973. Cause we had a Scottish coach guy named Pat Craig, who was really, really good. And he asked me to come back. Well, it was a club team. I couldn't get into, um, full-time school. I, I went, went a year and a half to the junior college, had no clue what I was doing there. And my first soccer coach had moved to California, the Englishman. And he was taking a trip around the world, uh, teaching some classes in Australia and in England and um, was in, on his way to India as well. So I took a, a trip around the world with him um, to help him with what he was doing. And then I, I came back home and this was 1970 bought a car, moved to California, and I was out there off and on for a couple of years, and then went to TCU, and then I went uh, fall 73, spring 74, then I laid out 
fall 74 and got my pilot's license. And then I went back to school and uh, met my wife then. And, and then I was playing, uh, we had a, a Hungarian coach. And so I, I finished in um, 77 and um, got married. That was when I went to the Maccabee games in, uh, in 1977. And then um, came back home after that. The next year, Deborah and I got married and immediately moved to St. Louis. And then uh, we're up there in St. Louis and we were there 10 months and it, she told me she was pregnant and we were broke. I said, we're going home. Keep doing this. And, <laughs> the way it uh, usually works. So we came back home and I started coaching youth soccer and I coached it. Yeah. And they're crazy, isn't it? And I coached at a, a couple of private schools, you know, the young teams or whatever. And then anyway, I got a, in, in, 81, uh, our oldest son was born 1980, but in, and I was working for my dad's company and uh, I got a, a letter from TCU, an application to apply for the job. And I wasn't sure I wanted to do it. And anyway, um, and then I called, <laughs> I called the chairman of the board of trustees, a gentleman named Baird Friedman, who had been mayor here in Fort And, uh, and I asked him if, if write a letter of recommendation for me for the the job, he says, no, I won't do that. The chancellor tomorrow, I'll mention it to him. So in fall 81, I got the head job part-time. It was just the men. It was $6,000. And uh, that first year, I think we went 314 and two or four and 16. One of the, it wasn't real pretty, but I had no scholarships and I got the job in July and, um, and then, uh, I mean, we went, one of our trips was to Evansville, Fred Schmaltz's place, we won nothing, but it could have been 20. And, uh, and then we went over to Eastern Illinois and lost two nothing to Shell team in the final four and, uh, and thinking, okay, we're doing all right. And then we go to Southern Illinois, Edwardsville, where Bob Gelker was coaching. And he talk about the Christians being fed to the lions. It was eight, nothing. And I mean, they just started doing, they just, started hitting long balls they started chasing and we we were that night <laughs> but we learned how to defend pretty well but anyway then in every year that they did a dollar raise and I, after five years i'm like oh, how long can they do this well i didn't know how much money tcu had and uh, then they mm -hmm. added the women's program all right so so dave you were talking about you know you started the men's program at tcu in 1981 um and then the women's program in 1986 Back then, you were with a few people who were doing that, meaning coaching both the men and the women. Uh, you mentioned um, Anson, um, but I believe Jim, you know, Jim Rudy was doing it at UCF. Um, yep. Who else comes yeah, to Jim mind? Was yep. Yeah, who else comes to mind between, you know, besides those two people who were running two programs at the Division One level? Um, wow, that's a great question. I'm not sure. I'll have to think about that just right offhand. I don't, I'm sure somebody was or a few were, I'm sure a lot of them was why you still see. I don't recall. I do remember Jim doing, um, I don't remember. I, I, at this minute, I just, I don't have an answer. So, so Dave, one of the questions I want to try to comprehend is how did you schedule games 
with both the men and women. Um, how you did you schedule? About, what was the scheduling like? Well, you know, for 10 years, I was able to do all the scheduling for both teams. And then when we got in, because we were independent on and, um, the men, we had the old Southwest Conference Soccer League. But I mean, that was so I could schedule anything and I was able to to mix and match. But then we got into a conference and it changed. And I think we moved from the old Southwest Conference, which really didn't have soccer. Actually, that I mean, it was a club sport. And in 1983 and 84, we won the Southwest Conference Championship because that SMU uh, bowed out of it. They didn't play in it because they were trying for national recognition. And um, I think Shellis had come in 84, I believe. And I think. <laughs> or 83, one or the other. Randy Waldrum, in fact, now that I think about it, I think was coaching with him. But anyway, we we went those two years, but we played a full schedule. Um, and I was able to do that. Then when TCU moved into the Western Athletic Conference, um, then it became very difficult and I couldn't do that. And I had a graduate assistant, which Butch Lauffer was my first graduate assistant. He had played for me in 84 and then he was there when we started the women's team. Um, but I, it was, I was at most everything. And then it got more and more difficult, obviously, um, to do that. Yeah. Uh, share what the recruiting was like back then, because you're doing it again, too, at the same time. And a lot of programs are starting to add their programs. Absolutely. To to, you well, know, when so Randy so, came to... Randy so came share to some stories. Yeah, so share some stories on, you know, what that whole landscape looked like. I coached um, a club team <laughs> called Image 80. It was a really good team. We got to um, the regional finals, and Cindy Parlow's team beat us. Oh, gosh, whatever year that would have been, in late, um, right when we started scholarship in the women. Um, but I coached a good team, but I couldn't get hardly any of those kids because uh, we had some that ended up going to Baylor and I think some went to A&M because we didn't have any money. <laughs> and I said for years, I knew I was in the right place. Fort Worth and TCU are great places. I just needed some help. And um, it wasn't there to be had for the longest time. So we, you know, again, we go um, with that group of kids. I, I just couldn't get any of them to stay. A couple went to Baylor to, uh, to play when Randy went down there, Randy Waldrum. And they started the program with a full allotment of scholarships. And uh, and we had already had our program for 10 years. And uh, But anyway, then that's why I was saying you felt like I lived in a sharecropper's cabin and they're building high rises around me and there was nothing I could do about it. <laughs> <laughs> did, did, uh, was it, did you feel more, it was like you had to contact so many kids, almost like a, a division three just to get exactly yeah. because of what you're sharing with us of, of the competition and you're losing kids right and left. And sure. You know, you yeah. I, I had kids. That, kids. They come visit. Boy, I love your place. How much is it going to cost? And I, I just told them check financial aid out and we'll see what we can do. And some, you know, like anything else, just like the division three schools, you get a few, but you lose a whole lot. 
Wow. That's and that's, but that's the nature of it. And cause you didn't have anything to offer other than a great school. And I used to tell him our field was really good. <laughs> Spent $40,000 to come play here. So, but I mean, that's just the way it was. Wow. And were you, or, or did, what was the, the, the atmosphere with the athletic department as far as you trying to be competitive? That didn't matter. They, what they didn't want you, and this is, I hate to say it, they wanted to make sure you, they didn't want you to embarrass the university. They knew that we were, we're not giving you the best. We're not the worst. And, um, but just do the best you can and don't embarrass the university. And I, and I don't mean that with results. I didn't care who we played. Uh, we took some, I figured it was the kids' money we're spending. We took some great trips to play games because, that's to me is important. You know, those are the memories. Sure, we right. went to Seattle with Cliff McCrath. We played in their tournament. We used to go to Stanford uh, when Colin Lindoris and Burhani were out there. They'd invite us. And I remember my athletic director, somebody, we, I took both teams to Stanford one year. And <laughs> well, we had Southwest Airlines was the sponsor of the old Southwest Conference. So I traded. I don't even know how much my budget was. It wasn't much, but I traded <laughs> the athletic director like 60 bucks a ticket. So I've got 40 kids traveling to, to Stanford to play. And um, I, I remember the AD that was talking to the chancellor one day he says, what, how, what's he doing in California? He says, don't, don't ask. He's a magician. So, <laughs> but you know, it's good. You have friends in places, you know, and like our guys, that that became a struggle after all the scholarships with the, the the women and the men had none. I had two and a half scholarships for two years with the men. Wow. And uh, and I was still recruiting with that. And then I found out 10 months later that they decided they weren't going to continue that. And they forgot to tell me. So <laughs> <laughs> it was a priority. <laughs> what I was going to ask you, you know, they shut it down in 2002. Um and you in 2005, quote unquote, resigned. Um, <laughs> you know, I was announced on January 1st of 2005, and it was about this big in the bottom of the last page of the newspaper. And nobody reads the newspaper on January 1st, especially on a Sunday morning. So that's, <laughs> when, it was, that's when it was announced. And I, I was playing golf with a friend. He says, how's everything at TCU? I said, you obviously don't read the paper. <laughs> Oh, anyway, in fact, this is a true story. <laughs> I uh, I went to a basketball game on January second. <laughs> I did because I got I still get to go to the games because I'm a retiree, and uh, I ran into the chancellor. He may have retired by then because he's the one that hired me. Well, the athletic director did, and <laughs> the chancellor says uh, is Bill Tucker, who just passed away a few months ago. Just a great guy. He said, I was going to call you. He says, what the heck is going on around here? Now, we had no scholarships for the, you know, they dropped the man and all that. He said, did you have sex with one of your players? <laughs> he was like, totally. I said, no, sir, I did not. But I'll be, And in fact, he helped me write a letter to try to get our kids' education continue to get paid for. <laughs> but anyway. Boy. Uh, this <laughs> did not think it would. Things are that. different, in Texas, buddy. 
I mean, that is that's Things a good are different thing. in Texas. Well, <laughs> all I know is looking back over your 24 years, you really don't have any consistent pattern of success, so we're going another direction. Yeah. And having said that, I've got kids that are doctors, lawyers, just yeah. very successful people, yeah. nurses, and don't tell me that we weren't successful, you know. It, Just got to look at it Unfortunately, Bone, this sounds an awful lot like the Vanderbilt men's. Yeah, I'm program. sorry. It, it this sounds an awful lot like sounds like a parallel path to what they did with Vanderbilt men's soccer too. Oh my gosh, yeah, yeah. Randy you know? was up there, right? Yes. Um, yeah. Randy and Johnson was coaching, he, yes. and. Um, yeah. Oh my gosh. Had had two and a half scholarships, and they just decided, you know what. We're going to add bowl. We're going to drop you guys and add bowling because soccer obviously costs a school like Vanderbilt too much, and they didn't want to pursue it. And it's like you right. Know, you, remember, you, were, um, you remember our buddy in kind of the era before this, Tim Carter, had built a great program at Illinois State. Yes, Illinois yeah. State, and they had just they had just beaten SMU or something. Yeah, the first time. Yeah. And he went in for his end review, and he's like, "Hey, by the way, <laughs> exactly. We went up. We're going to put all this money into one double A football. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah, we went up and played Tim's team. In fact, that was a year. That may have. God, I wish I could remember what year it was. But we had a chance to make the playoffs, even yeah. though we didn't have scholarships. We went up there, and they thumped us pretty good. He had a really good team yeah, up they, there, and he built it from nothing. Built a yeah, 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 beautiful. Yeah. You know, yeah." He, he did. A, he's another one of the guys that did a yep. great job and yep. paid the beyond the dues. So. Yep. Yep. Sorry, yeah, Mo, we, got, we got sidetracked. No, Sorry, we, we always do. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's what the show's about. So, Dave, talk, you mentioned uh, a little bit about the Maccabi games. First, explain to people what it is, where it is, how often it takes place. Um, you, you've gone through the whole thing. You know, you were the United States – uh, national team captain, you were an assistant coach, you were the head coach. So just share with everybody, again, what it is, when it takes well, place, how you get selected. Yeah, um, in, in 1977, it would have been somewhere early on, I got a call from a guy named Don Winchick, who was up in Connecticut with Joe Magnick at, um, what was it, University of New Haven. And uh, he was going to be the coach and he called me. I don't know. I, well, he got my number from Tino Likowski, uh, who was the assistant with the Dallas tornado um, with Al Miller, I believe at the time. And he calls me and uh, asked me if I'd be interested. And I said, well, I, I might be. And then I never heard from him uh, for a while. And uh, I called him back and somehow or other, there was a miscommunication <clears throat> that I was a professional player. Well, I wasn't a professional player. I just finished college. I wasn't good enough to be a professional player. But uh, <clears throat> nevertheless, so anyway, I went to a tryout in Los Angeles and we played the LA Maccabees in a scrimmage. And uh, he invited me to go with the team. Lenny Reutman was on that team. Wow. We all know Lenny. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, golly, I can't remember. Um, uh, Shep's little brother, Roy Messing, was on the team. Yeah. Um, I can't remember Rick's last name, another Connecticut guy, goalkeeper. But anyway, um, we, uh, we got to New Haven in the, in the summer. We had about a two and a half week training camp up there at the university of New Haven, Joe training the keepers and John Kowalski was, uh, he oh, yeah. was training the, the field players and we played some great games. Uh, the, by what was that? The Centennials. 
um, up in New Haven, uh, the Connecticut Bicentennials, I think they were called. They played in the old Yale Bowl, and we played them and went and played the Cosmos Reserves and the Meadowlands. And so it was a great training camp. And uh, that's where my relationship with uh, Joe and John started. So uh, anyway, then we go to Israel. And if I remember right, we we tied Peru and Chile and we beat Argentina. And then um, we lost in uh, um, lost to South Africa um, in knockout competition. They thumped us pretty good. But it was a great experience. And, and they named me captain. And obviously, that's something that... Um, I take with a lot of pride. Yeah. You know, it's the Jewish Olympics. It's every four years, a year after the Olympics. Mm-hmm. And uh, they go to Israel in those four years. So it's pretty fascinating, though. What an unbelievable country and yeah. um, just an amazing experience. Were you, you know, we had Dan Gaspar on this show. And Evie, I don't know if you remember, one of the questions I was just definitely was really excited to ask him about being an American in Iran. And then if you lost, what was that like? Yeah. What was it, you know, um, what was it being an American back then, especially, you know, still, still now, right? So the violence, the security, what were, what were your feelings, you know, being in that country and what were your feelings as far as, machine guns around you, you know, 24 seven, you know, things like that. And yeah. stories about that. Yeah, a little bit. We stayed in a, a, the hotel Ramada Viv, I believe is what it was called. And it had guards around the hotel. That's where uh, our, our group stayed. Um, but you get used to it. I mean, you there, if you're driving down the road in a bus and guys with their, was the M16s over their shoulders and they're thumbing a ride, <laughs> you know, just going somewhere and, uh, we always had security, but it, and we had guys, in fact, out in the, the, in kind of the play area near the pool, uh, um, soldiers with their, <laughs> with their machine guns on their back playing soccer with us. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but it just, it's one of those places that wherever you go, it's, it's there. And you, I think what you do is do your best to, uh, just be aware of the surroundings and, um, but all in all, it felt pretty safe. Pretty felt pretty safe. And what did you think of the competition? As far as first, what were your expectations? And then when you actually got to see it, um, was it? Was yeah. It- um, I, I mean, we were competitive, but we weren't competitive with South Africa. They were much better than us. Um, but I thought that you know, again, with tying Peru and tying Chile. Um, we, I didn't know what to expect, to be honest, didn't, wasn't sure at all. And then we were fortunate enough to beat, uh, Argentina. Uh, but South Africa was just, they were better than we were. And, uh, we probably helped make them better. I don't remember a whole lot about that other than the score, but, uh, you know, at that time now, uh, when I went back in 01 as a coach, the, uh, Israelis had their under 19 boys national team playing for the, the home country. And um, Lev Kirshner was coaching, I believe it was 01. And he had some really good kids. Jonathan Bornstein was in that team. Benny Filehaber, I believe, was in that team. Oh. And they had some some good, good players. But those kids over there were so seasoned in, in the way they play. And 
we had a bunch of college guys for the most part. Uh, in fact, I think, I don't remember if it's 01 or 05, that as soon as the games were over, Benny headed to, I believe, Germany to play. Uh, he was under contract. Um, and Jonathan had a great career in it between MLS and uh, the Mexican League, I believe. But um, the, the, I just thought that the, the uh, Israelis were a really seasoned team. And you could tell that they were, um, European soccer was really, really good for them. Great learning tool. Yeah, good good segue. As Evie alluded to um, at the start of the show, you know, you've been with the United States soccer staff. Um, you were with them from 2005 to 2010. What were some of your memories first, you know, of that, of those special years? And explain to us how you got selected. Um, <laughs> Once again, life's a funny thing. So, uh, when I leave, I left, you know, the TCU thing ended and I called April who I'd known for years. Um, I'd gone out and watched them train at Carolina and uh, just got to know her pretty well. And I, um, I called her and left her a message after I um, had the parting of the ways with TCU or should I say after I retired from TCU. And just left her message saying, hey, just so you know, I'm not at TCU anymore. I wasn't looking for anything. I didn't know what I was going to do. I had a little time that I, I so I didn't have to rush into anything. Um, and um, she called me back and asked me if I'd be interested in the national staff coaching job. And I said, <laughs> I might be. What is it? And I didn't know. And uh, anyway, she they flew me out to California and I met Jeff Pill. Out there, they had a camp going on, uh, and April was out there. And um, so I had a, a good time visiting with them and seeing what they were doing. And I accepted the job, and I started, I think it was early February of 05. Uh, Mike Dickey and I started the same day, and that was, <laughs> that was the day April resigned. And I kind of thought, what did I do, <laughs> you know? <laughs> But uh, anyway, it, it was a great job for five years. It was a great job. Um, I had the, uh, for, well, first off, um, like after I took the job, I get this big box of stuff with U.S. soccer logos on it with a lot of nice gear. And I remember thinking to myself, this may not be all bad. And uh, <laughs> anyway, so, I mean, but it was such an honor to wear the uh, the you know, the crest was just amazing. Um, wow. But for five years, I was a national staff coach on the girls' side and uh, in Region 3. So I traveled uh, throughout the South, Southeast, Florida, Georgia, North South Carolina, Tennessee, Mississippi, Alabama, uh, Arkansas, Oklahoma, and North and South Texas. And truly, it was a great job because the main emphasis it seemed like between coaching education and um, player identification. And so uh, we took a hundred kids from around the country every summer that we'd identified into a one location and uh, for U14 national camp yeah. and found just some wonderful players. I met Lindsay Horan in, uh, in California at what then was Home Depot center when she was 13 and, you know, if I wouldn't have found her, you obviously the next person would have. But I was fortunate enough to there were some terrific players. Morgan Bryan trained her the first time when she was 11, I think. And but just just some really, really good players. And um, 
that was a neat, neat part of the job. Got to go over to Germany and do ODP Europe and um, for a weekend with Platini so off. Um, that was, you know, another neat experience, but it, it was really, really neat for five years. The coaching schools were just really special. I always hated leaving to go to coaching school because it was 10 days. But when I got there, it was so easy to immerse yourself in it. And you just hope you help somebody a little bit along the way. What what national team games do you remember over those five years? Uh, what national team game? Well, now, again, I didn't I wasn't with the full team at all. One of the neatest games I remember we had a coaching school going on was when uh, David Beckham uh, played his first game for LA Galaxy. We were all out there and they played Chelsea and got to watch that. That was kind of fun. Um, that was neat. We were in Chicago when I, I think, wow, we may play at Soldier Field. We had a, a the U.S. men had a match. We were up there for meetings and um, I can't, that, those were World Cup qualifiers and I, right now, it may have been Costa Rica, but I don't recall who we played, but it was a big game. That was a big one. Do you feel, based on what you know today, that the United States women's scouting is going in a direction that it should be as far as identifying players for the National well, that is kind of hard for me to say. I because it you you know when I would go out, I would somebody would say you need to see this kid, and I'd go see this kid, and I'd say, oh well, that's I, I'm specifically a, a little girl down in uh, Georgia named Allison Weatherington, and somebody told me I need to go see this kid, and so I go to their they had their interstate games or something they had five state games that they had and she was 12 probably maybe 13 and I remember seeing her and she was special totally unique like Lindsay Horan uh, but I remember thinking to myself oh that's Molly Pacman only a little bit better Molly Pacman played at Duke who was a kid that came out of North Carolina that we knew so you know I was able to get around and see kids from all over the place and and so I had a pretty good education of the players and the top ones. And um, so it's a big country and I'm sure we're missing some. Um, but at the same time, I, you know, I, I can't tell you if we're doing it right, if we're doing it wrong, they bring them into training center still, I guess. <clears throat> I think, is that right? Yeah. And yeah. but all you're going to bring yeah. in is one, that, the ones that you see. And I don't know how much they're getting out and about. Got to go <laughs> find them. Got to go find them. Yep. Yeah, you, you got to go find them. Yeah. But yeah. what are your thoughts on, you know, the U.S. women have, I think, obviously been a pretty dominant power. Do you feel the rest of the world is, you know, finally catching on? Absolutely. Yeah. No question about it. And um, I think that's inevitable as well. I don't think that we can just, we invented it basically. I mean, let's be fair. No disrespect to Anson. I don't mean that. Well, I, he's done an amazing job. But we kind of invented women's soccer. And, and it only makes sense that the rest of the world's getting better because they're immersed in it every day. That's, that's exactly that's right. something that we're not. Yeah. You know, so we when I watch a game, I watched an Italian league women's game the other day. And um, Roma looked really, really good. I didn't watch the whole thing. But you watch the English league games with Arsenal and 
Chelsea um, with Sam Kerr, I believe is her name, the yeah. Australian girl. That there's rhythm to those games to me. There's more rhythm to it. They're they're more fluid. Um, I think I feel like they may be more tactical. Um, but you got a lot of good players on the field, and I know we do too. That our kids coming up through the ranks that we're doing with club soccer, I'm not sure they're getting that same uh, emphasis on. What you're really absolutely matters. right, Coach, and I'm glad you said that because if you take just England, okay, so the English women were not even in the conversation two cycles ago, right? right? World Cup cycles ago. So um, now in the last nine months, they beat Germany in the European Cup final, they beat the United States of America, and they beat Brazil. Yeah. Okay, so that's 20 years, 15 years-ish, 16 years, and now they're right there at the elite level. And they're, yeah. they're expecting to win the World Cup. Right. Yeah. Go ahead. Right. Sorry, Greg. No, no. I was about to <laughs> – you took my steam away there. All good. I think, you, I think I read I, something. I was ask you, Dave, um, do you feel the USA will win the World Cup? Oh, uh, that – playing Australia and New Zealand, I, uh, I don't know. They – you think they should be one of the top three. What's been interesting in a way is that the Japanese and the Chinese have kind of taken a uh, south turn. They don't seem to be as dominant as they were, even as technical as the, certainly the Japanese. You know, I don't know. I haven't watched. I haven't seen the French team. since so They changed coaches now, right? Yes. They had a big upheaval. Really um, the, the English girls are really, really good. Um, the French, we, you know, have been good. Um, but I, and the Dutch, that's another group. Um, it's just, we'll see, I guess that's why they'll play the games. Yeah. But I do, I definitely think we've been caught. I don't think there's any question about it. No question. Yeah. What do you think we should be doing better that we're not? It's interesting when, um, I think we need to be more concerned about keeping the ball. Um, and doing things, creating numbers up on the field. Our kids, too often I go places, and it's a relay race. It's just 100 miles an hour. And what are the tactics to that? You know, there there really aren't any. And the bigger, stronger, faster kids wins. But that doesn't mean they know how to play soccer. And now, so what's going to happen when they match up against a defender that's as big and strong as fast as they are. And now they have two of them back there. Um, it's it, part of the learning curve, but I, I've got kids. Um, I see that down here is that it's just 100 miles an hour. And I'm thinking, what are the tactics here? I don't care how high pressure you put on the ball. You better figure out how to keep it. Because you know and I know the team that keeps the ball longest usually wins. Doesn't always happen. Yeah, but, good, good, good segue. You know, um, you're currently the uh, girls coach at Arlington Heights High School. Um, right. Why did you want to? You know, you went club, you went university, now high school. Why, what made you want to return to well, that <laughs> level? That another funny story and how life works. I. Uh, when I knew I was leaving U.S. soccer, we had a parting in the ways. When it all became about the Boys Academy, the Boys Developmental Academy in 2010, we went into a meeting April 10th of 2010 into Chicago as the national staff coach on the girls' side 
And I came out of that meeting as the technical advisor in Texas and Oklahoma on the boys side. Well, that wasn't what I signed on for. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I'd go to watch games and I, it, anyway, that was an odd, odd deal. And, uh, you didn't ask me about that, but, uh, I thought that was a real strange thing because I felt like U.S. soccer was robbing their own clientele because they went and took all these clubs and put them in the developmental academy. And U.S. soccer or U.S. youth soccer had worked so hard to make that thing work. But anyway, that's just my opinion. So um, that was a weird thing. So anyway, we had a parting of the ways. So I called a friend of mine when I knew I was leaving and said, hey, let's have lunch. He'd worked with me at TCU as a grad assistant. And he owned an oil and gas company. And I'm thinking, why is he doing this? But uh, so I um, I call him and said, let's have lunch. So we go meet at a place. And he said, what's up? I said, I need a job. He says, when do you want to start? So that was my interview into the oil and gas business. <laughs> so I did that for two years with him as a landman. And then um, uh, I left there after two years and went to Because I was sitting at a desk making phone calls. And that just wasn't my best uh place to be. So I met a guy and I changed companies and I uh, got a raise and I was out on the, on the road. So that was kind of, that was fun. And then he walked in and shut this project down in April of 2013, I think. And in the meantime, three weeks before that, I get a phone call from a friend who I'd worked with his daughter, some asking me if I knew anybody that could come to Arlington Heights and coach because they had a pretty good group. And I said, oh, I don't know. I'll ask around. And then three weeks later, I get let go by this oil and gas company. And I called him back three weeks later. And I asked him if he found anybody. And he said, no. I said, I might be interested. So I, what I learned about myself is I need a little bit of stability. And the oil business doesn't give me much of that. So uh, anyway, I went and uh, I met with the principal. I went and did the emergency certification, the summer program. And I got thrown in the lap of the new principal, and uh, it's it's been a phenomenal 10 years. That first year, we got to the regional finals. Um, we won about five games, I guess, in the playoffs, and we're in the regional finals, and 10 minutes into the, uh, the game, one of my forwards gets red carded, and I remember thinking to myself, I wasn't planning on that. And uh, <laughs> so, anyway, we lost that game 2-0. We haven't been able to uh, return to that. Uh, as well. But uh, I've really enjoyed it. I feel like the kids have responded for the most part. And um, it's been a great, um, uh, it's really, it's been really, really rewarding. I, I think you might be able to make more difference there than you can at the college level, uh, as far as helping kids grow up. Um, I've got kids that keep coming back. And, uh, you know, so it, it's been a really neat thing. My principal has been amazing. I got thrown in her lap. Her daughter was my goalkeeper for four years. <clears throat> but uh, anyway, so that's kind of how that happened. And now I helped coach tennis the last four years too. And, and that's been a lot of fun too. So um, anyway, that's how all that happened. Share with us how you deal with maybe the overreactionary parents. That's um, an that's a great question. I have been in 10 years, I have to my face, I have never been questioned. And I know I, I went to a thing last November for a, a Texas High School Coaches Association. I was speaking at a deal on tryouts. And I, 
I had talked about things that I do, but what they wanted to know was basically how do you document everything so you can justify it to the parents why their kid didn't make it or this one did. Um, and that was an interesting revelation for me because I don't think that way. Um, I, I trust my judgment when it comes to that. I've got enough experience and I think the parents recognize that, but I've seldom had any, any complaints to my face. They may, when they get home, they may say bad things. I don't know, but uh, I don't document things. Um, I just coach. Do you think in this day and age of everyone playing select, especially in your area, that they either know they're going to make the team or there's an unknown? Well, we have have three teams, um, two JV teams. And uh, like I had a couple of girls that this year I could have brought up to varsity, but they would have been sitting on the bench and I don't want them sitting on the bench. I'd rather that they play. And so – I've got some kids that played club soccer that didn't get much game time. Uh, I had some freshmen this year that were just outstanding and they really, they kind of carried us. Uh, our, our district isn't real strong, but we didn't give up one goal in 14 games. So there's something to be said for our ability wow. to, to, uh, to keep the ball. And, and again, some of the teams weren't real good, but still uh, I, it was a really nice mixture. And I remember when we started, even though we'd get beat up pretty good in the preseason, uh, I remember thinking these kids don't realize it, but this is probably the best group that we've had because I had a player in every position that could play. Um, my biggest concerns about <clears throat> when you talk about the, the the select kids or the club kids is those kids getting burned out. Um, they're getting pulled in so many different directions. So a lot of times in training, like they'll have, we train early in the morning and then the night before they may have had a big tough practice with our club. And then the last thing I wanted a kid to do was get up thinking, I don't want to go do soccer today. So I never work nearly as hard uh, as I could uh, and maybe should, but I, I don't want them to lose the love of the sport. Wow. Well said. Um, (laughs) Good, good segue into the, you know, you mentioned your son. um, Adam. So guys, I don't know if you really heard what he was saying. He was the number one player in, in college golf when he walked on at TCU. He turned well, out scholarships <laughs> from uh, Stanford and Oklahoma. Yeah, that, I don't wow. know that he was number one in college golf. He did come in second in NCAA's his junior year. Um, he went to every tournament. He, the, he never missed a tournament in the five years. He redshirted one year. But, um, <clears throat> yeah, that was a, another – interesting uh, experience but it um he was a walk-on all-american that's true because we were told this again uh i, I don't know how you all if you've if coached in college i know eric you did but administration is really important and if they've got your back it's really helpful so our, our kids were all able to we have three kids we're all able to get free tuition at tcu and i was told by our senior women's administrator that if he got a dollar from the golf program, the entire tuition would count against the golf program. So for three years, we paid all his room board books and fees because that's what we were told. And then I had a player whose dad taught at the university and I told him that exact same thing three years later. He said, that's not right. He said, I called the NCAA and uh, 
they said that that money wouldn't count against the program. So for three years, we're fighting our own administration, putting out dollars. But it was a great experience for him. And he went to the right place. And um, it, it, uh, it, it's just it's been amazing. Uh, I tell all the girls that ever played for me, learn to play golf. You can always get a date. And uh, I, I, I firmly believe that. <laughs> but anyway, it, that was uh, truly amazing. He played on the Walker Cup team for the United States. And uh, it is in the Palmer Cup team and played, in fact, with Brant Snedeker when uh, he was at Vanderbilt, Eric, um, and uh, a number of other guys. But it, it, it's been really rewarding. He played soccer from the day he could walk, and thank God he found golf. <laughs> yeah. So, Dave, just so you know, Evie's had to uh, slip away right now. So um, he's had some uh, family things. That's all right. No there. problem. FYI. But hey, John Boa, I think you're going to like this next question. Um, so, you know, we always know, you know, we always ask what people prefer to spend their time with, you know, when they have some time, what do they like to do? And it's usually, the, you know, the answers like Dave gave um, with family, playing golf, right? Okay. Some go answers, right? But, John, this is an interesting one Western swing dancing. Okay. And, and I don't know what this is, by the way, riding, cutting horses. Oh, so, okay. So, well, yeah. So we're going to get this explained on this show tonight. How about that? Okay. okay. I love it. I love it. So my wife and I love to dance and uh, we've been dancing for years and Western swing music is just, I, I just love it. It's dance music. And I met a guy maybe five years ago now who um, we were sitting at a club, or a club, a bar, a restaurant, whatever, to go listen to this guy play music. And we just start talking, which I have a habit of doing that. And one thing led to another. And who do you know? And who do you know? Well, he was starting a Western Swing Festival and um, <laughs> doing a documentary on Bob Wills. And so now you guys need to go back and Google Bob Wills because he just got, we were in Oklahoma City on Saturday night for an awards dinner. Um, some dear friends got different, a guy named Red Stegall, who has the Red Stegall Cowboy Gathering here in Fort Worth in the 33rd year this year, I think. It's just amazing. But he does a show called Somewhere West of Wall Street uh, on the Cowboy Channel or RFD TV, and it's just great. He's been a friend for years, and he got a Lifetime Achievement Award. And then another friend, Michael Martin Murphy, I don't know if you know that name or not, but he's another um, musician and he and his son wrote a song that was uh, awarded, a Wrangler Award is what they called it. And he's a dear friend. And then Bob Wills, who was the inventor of Western Swing or the king of Western Swing, we were there with his daughter. Bob Wills passed away in 1975. We were uh, at the dinner with his daughter and uh, there to uh, be part of that. And so that was really, really cool. Uh, great event. But anyway... Uh, my, I'm on the board of advisors for this Cowtown birthplace of Western Swing, and the music is just phenomenal. Uh, a lot of fiddles. They say in Texas it, it's not a band unless you've got a steel guitar and a fiddle. So, uh, huh. uh, uh, anyway, but that uh, I've, we've done, we've danced for years, but it's really getting to be. Uh, if you go Google a group called Asleep at the Wheel, they've been together 50 oh, years. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, Ray Benson's another friend of mine, not a great friend, but another friend of mine, and I've oh. known him a long time. And but anyway, that kind of music, because it was all Bob Wills music, 
and the Texas Playboys. And another friend, Jason Roberts, is now, because all the old Texas Playboys have passed on, and he's now taken it over, and he's another friend. So anyway, somehow or other, kind of got into that. And then the Cutting Horses, um, I um, have been interested in cutting probably since about 1975. And it's just what it what it is, and I'll do my best to explain it. You've got a herd of cattle. Horse and rider go into the herd. It's a two and a half minute run. And I'm going to give you a guy's name that you can, um, that you can YouTube a guy named Matt Gaines. And he had a little horse called special new baby in you. And he had a 234. and you talk about perfection. This is great. But anyway, you've got go into the herd. You cut a cow away from the herd. Cow wants to get back to the herd and the horse and rider's job is to keep the cow away from the herd. So it's really, it's ranch work. They're cow horses and they're bred for that. But you put one hand on the range, you put them down, you put the other one on the horn, and you guide with your feet when you want to cue your horse. Uh, but as I say, and Fort Worth is the home of the National Cutting Horse Association, but it is dancing, which is exactly what we do. Time and space are your friend. And when these cows start pushing on the horse and rider, the, uh, the horse can't handle it. They lose the cow. Cow goes back to the herd. They lose points. So you gain points, you lose points, just like... In golf, where you've got five judges, you throw out a high score and a low score. You you start at 70 per judge, so you go in at 210, even par. And then you gain points if you can control your cow in the middle of the arena. And uh, then you have two and a half minutes. You can cut minimum two cows, maximum three. But I just love it. And I go help these guys that are the best trainers in the world. Um, and, and they let me come out and mess up, and but I help them. And uh, I wouldn't do it in the arena when they're they're riding for money. And they wouldn't have me do it, but I just, I absolutely love it. It's just, it's a, a, a thrill. It's really awesome. neat. I met some great people along the way and looking forward to meeting Taylor Sheridan. I haven't met him yet. The guy that did Yellowstone. Yeah. And uh, one of my former players did set design for the first set of Yellowstone, first season of Yellowstone. So anyway, but I, I love Fort Worth. If I'm not in, um, you know, in my soccer stuff, I'm in boots and jeans and a cowboy hat. Well, one last thing I want to share with uh, our listeners and viewers is um, that you helped build the TCU uh, Garvey Rosenthal Soccer Stadium. Um, what was your input um, on how that facility was built? Well, I don't know that I had input on how it was done, but two families gave us some money, Richard Garvey, who I, as a dear friend, and he and I played soccer together, they gave us money. And um, the Rosenthal's, um, Roz Rosenthal and my mother were best friends growing up. And they had a company called Standard Meat Company. Anyway, the two families donated, I think it was at that time, like $550,000. And um, so that's pretty special. Yeah. Yeah. Um, sorry. <laughs> It's got my mother's name. Tremendous. Yeah. Sorry, but her, there's a plaque there with, with her name on it. Wow. Anyway, I, I wasn't planning on leaving. It just happened. <laughs> you know, life's funny that way, but it's, uh, I didn't have a lot of input there. But they've made a great place out of it. And Eric's done a great job. And he and Ryan have really built it. Uh, they've made a name for themselves. And I mean, TCU is an easy sell. Fort Worth's an easy sell. We're five minutes from world-class art museums, 10 minutes from the stockyards. And uh, But TCU is a great place. And I said it for years when 
I did camps uh, that, you know, TCU soccer camp, best kept secret around. I didn't mean my camps. I'm at Fort Worth and TCU. Yeah. 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 Eric, you know, the funny thing, John Bo, I know I've known Eric Bell for a long, long time and, um, you know, used to coach in Ohio, um, you know, grinded it all the way through. And, you know, I'm really happy that he's been very successful at TCU. Yeah, he's done a great job. Yeah, he's done a great job. All right, John Bo, I'm going to turn it over to you here. Coach, um, I am thrilled to meet you. Uh, Thank you for being on our show. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) It's nice to be kind of anywhere. (laughs) Thank you for the invitation. you know, you forget so much of this stuff. I maybe forget it. I don't know. But like I've known Greg, we met at a convention, right? I don't know how many years ago. And uh, it's great to reconnect. And Eric, I think besides um, um, seeing Eric at a regional camp here in Fort Worth, I, I used to run into him at Erskine College out in due west, South Carolina. <laughs> I mean, that was out in the sticks. I remember Tommy Stone, when he was playing at Duke, he would come out to regional oh, yeah. camp. And kids would come out of the woodwork and they would want to kick him up one side and down the other. <laughs> the kids at Erskine, but, you know, Ricky Wright was there and Ralph, that's where I met Ralph Lundy. Went out and helped him feed horses the first day I met him. And then he left and went to college at Charleston. So, <laughs> but it's been, it's been a great ride. And uh, man, it, it, you know, you look back on it, met some great people. And the reality is that's what it's all about. I just, you, you just hope you make a little bit of difference and, uh, I watch our kids in this area, and I just wish they would slow down and play a little bit more soccer. Everybody's well, got to win, don't they? Yeah, it's too much, too soon. Unless too you soon. play for me, Coach, unless you play for me. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> and okay, you know, we, we lost again. Okay, but did we play better? Yes. And, you know, we have, you know, Mark Dodd was an Eric Vaughter goalkeeper. Well, do you know Mark Dodd played for me? Oh, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. We had him on the show. We had yep. him on the yep. show, Dave. Yeah, that's so funny. I got him to come from Richardson on the High School. the family tree of goalkeepers. And, yep. uh, you know, I don't know if Greg told you, but Butch Lawfer, it was on here. Yeah. A couple weeks ago, who's a good, good, good friend of mine. So we yeah. just well, so like it. Butch came and played for me, and then he's the one that told me about coaching schools. I didn't know anything about those. He'd already been. <laughs> in fact, one the year we went out in 1984 when he played for him, we, we had a good group of players, and we did pretty well. We went to, to U.S. International University to play, which was up in the hills above San Diego. And we, <laughs> he told us about this place south, about 30 miles south of Tijuana called Puerto Nuevo, and they had lobster down there. And, I mean – so we drove the truck or the, the van right down through the middle of, was that uh, Tijuana <laughs> all the way down, um, down there. I wouldn't do it today. I don't think, <laughs> <laughs> but no, and Butch, he was great. He was very, very helpful in, in my own development. Well, I want, yeah, if you don't, if, if Butch doesn't have the coaching license, it's not worth having, right, Greg? <laughs> right. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you for being on here. We'd like to stay on here because I'm going to ask a couple of coaching questions of uh, Ryan, the coach. Obviously, Greg Deutsch has been doing it forever. I I wanted to do this, too, because EV, I think, has won four or five national championships in college and the pros. Um, But I do have some some coaching questions because coaching in the pros is becoming more and more like coaching college kids, it looks like. Um, which will make more sense when I get into my global around the world, global rant, rave. I don't know. We got to make up a name, Greg. 
Swirl it, just swirl it. Well, we, Ryan, Boa's Boa's trip around the globe is okay. the logo that we've created. Ryan has done a great yeah. job on social media, and has come up with a John Boa logo, which you know is great. You know, <laughs> if you know anything about my ego, it's perfect. Okay. So uh, I tried to make it make a picture of you that looked like a bobblehead and had your head swell as the picture got on oh. the screen. It didn't. I couldn't make that work, but I'm working. You guys love oh, I'm like this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Well, today we're going to start in Germany because when I was watching Liverpool uh, take leads to uh, school uh, six to one today at Ellen Road, uh, where our friend Butch Offer also was for a while, that was just a brutal, brutal game. And not because I'm a Liverpool guy, but it was bad. I mean, it was just bad everywhere. Um, but I had a couple of German beers from our buddies here at Beerstadt Brewery in Denver. They do this Northern German Pilsner, which is unreal. And I can only have two or three beers a week. So I save them for my Liverpool games. But anyway, it was a great game for my Liverpool boys. But a little, a little bit of trivia. We're going to start with a little bit of trivia at the beginning of this little segment tonight and have some later also. Um, in Germany... Ryan and Greg and coach the practice of playing an extra game before the weekend. So usually traditionally in football and globally, you play on the weekend, you play on the weekend, you play on the weekend. The midweek is reserved for what they call cup games, European games, that kind of thing. Internationals. Okay. Well, and it's so rare that they play these midweek games in Germany. Still, still um, that they, that they, um, they call it, and I'm going to get this terribly wrong because my German's terrible, but it's called an English Woche. And it literally means that this club is going to have an English week. And I found that very, um, very interesting because, again, I don't know if you guys ever heard that. I've never heard that before. Nope. Pretty nope. Cool. I, don't, I don't know that I have. Yeah. They do it. They have to do it now because, you know, FIFA and Nike don't care about our players. So they're playing all the time. But, um, yeah, I that, thought that was pretty cool. So, in France, anyone that listens to this show knows the answer. Does anyone know what happened in France this week? Nobody cares because it's France. <laughs> you're, you're right, except this week. Oh, wait, come on. But, wait, so it actually happened last week because we had a show canceled. But in France, PSG was booed off the field by their own fans, okay, in, in Paris. Saint Germain. Now, PSG, you might remember. That was their second loss in a row, right? At home. Yeah, yeah, but they're but they're top of the table, right? Right. Yeah, but could you imagine oh. that you've only lost twice in right. a row at home yeah. and you're getting booed? What have they done for me lately? <laughs> let, let, let me go tweet about it. Yeah. So PSG, you'll remember, has arguably what the best player of all time, at least the top three or four. Okay. And now they've got Mbappe, which I don't know if there's a better player on the planet right now than him. Maybe Haaland. Um, the finish. Haaland. So you got so you got the you got the greatest one of the greatest players of all time. You got one of the best players on the planet right now. Scored three goals in your in the World Cup final. Just look, France is a weird place. And to, and to that point, when we have our uncensored show, I'll have to tell the story about the time I traded my Levi's five hundred ones in Paris when I was 19 years old. It was, I don't want to know, bro. But moving on. <laughs> there, moving there are on. certain things that no one wants to know about, Bo, and that's that a great, might great be story. it. <laughs> it's a great story. Yeah. 
Um, moving on down to our friends south of the Rio Grande or the Red River. I can always forget. Coach Ruby, you'll know. What's the river that separates uh, Texas from Mexico? Rio Grande. There we go. All right. I, I, my dad would hit me for not knowing that because he's a John Wayne guy. Okay, I'll never forget now. <laughs> okay, but anyway, the, the fans in Mexico are protesting, doing all kinds of petitions and whatnot because they've gotten rid of promotion and relegation. Oh, wow. The fans want it. Okay. So that tells you the complete separation that American folks have from the promotion and relegation thing and the rest of the world, because Mexico, they're all over it. Interesting. Now, to that, to that similar point um, about promotion and relegation, a Canadian, um, I guess the right word is actor. I mean, I think his movies are horrific, but this uh, Ryan Reynolds guy, he and, he and Ryan McElhaney bought uh, sorry, uh, yeah, McElhenney uh, bought Wrexham and it's got its own show and they're about to get promoted up to the big boy leagues. Right. Um, but he came out and he goes, uh, well, you know, Knotts County is so good. We're so good. We should both just get promoted. It's a shame that one team has to stay back. You know, he, <laughs> it's bad enough that he's an actor, but he's Canadian. Um, Who cares what this guy has to say? So anyway, shut up. Do you make your make your Spider-Man movies or whatever it is that he does? He's he's some daredevil or something. Anyway. Okay. But let's let's go into this one a little bit further because I'm All gonna right. be I'm gonna play devil's advocate here. All right. He's saying they should both be promoted because they have 104 points. Knotts County has 103 points, and the next closest freaking team has 78 points. Then it should be easy to win the playoffs. But it when it's that big of a gap, I understand what he's saying. Like those top two teams are really, really good. Right. And everybody gets a trophy. Well, <laughs> I mean, nobody, nobody supports good teams more than me because Liverpool has lost. has had three seasons of 98, 99 and 98 and 99 points and lost two of them Yeah, because Man City had a hundred and they're two of the best teams in, in the world. One, somebody's got to win. If you're not first, you're last. The best way to win is to, and the best way to win is to compete. And and Pep Guardiola said he when they were going through this whole NFL of Europe nonsense, which I'm about to mention in a in a second. Pep Guardiola said, if you do not have competition, it ceases to be a sport. I mean, does it really matter when it when we talk about Division Five and Division Four in England? Because well, it matters to them for sure. Uh, right, but what's the likelihood that they stay up after this year? Well, well, I mean, they're going. They're, 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 yeah, they're going into the real. They're going to the third division, I think, which is really the fourth. So, is it four or five? Yeah, I thought I, I sure. thought they were in the fifth they're division. From, yeah, they're going from regional to the big. You know, they're still old, old clubs. I mean, Wrexham is the oldest football ground in the world. A lot of people don't know that. So, oh, wow, they're um, in Wales, right? What's that? They're in Wales. Yes, it's in Wales. It's like an hour and a half south of Liverpool. Over yeah, there. yeah. So um, anyway, but you might remember, guys. Um, you know, the we were trying to fi- uh, basically found an NFL of Europe for global football for soccer. The owners of Arsenal, Liverpool, Manchester United, Real Madrid, the, Barcelona, the Super League. Yes, the only ones that didn't do it that were big were Bayern. Okay, the fans went apoplectic 
like this is ridiculous. No more FA Cup. No more what this. It's ridiculous. So they basically recanted everything. John Henry from Liverpool was on like global TV saying, "We're so sorry. We didn't know." Blah blah, which is stupid. But it, it will happen eventually in some shape, form, or fashion. You know, we had the Champions League already. So this is just a pure money grab. And again, the fans, that's what's great about football. It's socialist. It's for the fans. We need to keep it that way. It kind of reminded me of uh, some band a few years ago, their own fan club voted for them to never make another record because they've become so bad. <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't Weezer, but it was someone like that. I can't remember. Nickelback? It, it's yeah. I went to a Nickelback concert. I wish I had that money back. Yes. It was somebody like that. So anyway. All right. So in England, cannot be biased and start laughing at Manchester United right away. So I'm going to start by laughing at Chelsea. What is going on at Chelsea? Have you guys been following this goat rodeo? All right. So Ringling Brothers Football Club, which my, my Chelsea buddy calls them now. Let me just give you some highlights of what's going on at Chelsea since August, okay? They, they fire the guy, Thomas Tuchel, the German manager. They fire him who got you into the Champions League and to two cup finals last May. Fire him after eight games. They hire a guy who played left back at York City and Shrewsbury Town to be their manager, okay? And, and did a bunch of movies about school and people riding around on uh, Potter, not uh, Harry Potter, Grand Potter. Okay. Okay. He did great. They spend 600 million euros, $650 million ish. And they still can't figure out how to keep possession of the ball. So then they get rid of him and they bring in club legend, Frank Lampard. Now, Frank Lampard, it was a great player. There's no doubt. Okay. But he'd already been fired by them once. He'd also been fired by Everton six months ago, and he has won one match in his last 16 mat matches as manager. Okay. Now, Chelsea won a European Cup three years ago. Okay. This is a proud, big time club. Okay. So there is something going on. You know, this, I don't know what it is. Now, now this, is the, this is the kicker. Now, those are just the highlights. There's a lot more going on in that club. This is the kicker. The American owner is named Todd Bailey or Bowley, who's like a hedge fund manager from Connecticut. So basically, he's a bookie, right? He's always doing his. He's go. He's somebody goes this way. He's betting the other way. He's betting three to one on IBM and and taking one and shorting uh, October wheat, like trading places. That's all this guy's doing, right? So that's not all he's doing. After the game, after gotta, they lose at home this week, gotta go into the dressing room. He Gotta goes into the dressing room and addresses the team, the owner from Cleveland, Ohio. Okay. What, what were you going to say, Ryan? I just, I, I just couldn't believe no, that's it's just like, he thinks that he's Jerry Jones, right? Uh -huh. Like you got to think, you got to look at kind of the, he's the typical like American owner who's like steps in and says, all right, I got to do this. Now FC Cincinnati's ownership group has done the same thing. Like I know for an absolute fact, they went in like worst team in MLS for two consecutive seasons and the ownership went in and said, we're going to turn this around. Like went into the locker room and basically told the players like, we're, we're done. Like we're going to fix this. I mean, Greg Deutsch, can you imagine like sitting there and you're, you know, and, and you're like, 
and, and Bill Gates comes in to talk to you about, you know, boys, we should play, we, you know, we should high pressure in midfield and we're going to play, we're going to, <laughs> and, uh, you know, we're going to have our windshield wiper. I mean, it, it just, it, it, it kind of, because I've been to a lot of these like corporate meetings where everyone uses acronyms, right? So I'm just imagining like this guy up there going, okay, gentlemen, if you go to three, page three of your PowerPoints, we've got a bad two quarters here. We're not getting the ROI out of you and these guys are just sitting around going what the f half of them don't speak english <laughs> <laughs> what well, is going on lampard is quoted though to say i didn't mind it because our previous owner would not even show up for matches <laughs> the, the standards not so like Bard, Bard thought that right high. but like he literally was quoted as the saying i'm comfortable with Bailey entering the dressing room there was a criticism of our old number not our old owner not coming to games Abramovich, and then he goes, but that wasn't always true. But like, and then he said, at least this owner is very invested, and it's their prerogative to have input as they want. It shows passion. That's the quote. I think Frank is full of shit. <laughs> I think that he's saying that because he's got an eight-week contract. Right, that's it. He's the caretaker manager. He's saying that, going, well, maybe if I go five hundred on the way here, like maybe I can land it. Look, his father was a legend at West Ham. His uncle is Harry Redknapp, Jamie Redknapp's father. I mean, this guy comes from a football family. And I guarantee you that Harry Redknapp and Frank Lampard Sr. are not saying, well, that's pretty cool. You have the support of the, of the ownership, Frank. Well, you know, what, was he, what was he saying you should do? But, I mean, just imagine if that happened if, like, Roy Keane was there or uh, Tommy Smith of Liverpool back in the old days, Greg Deutsch. They, uh, they would just be, they'd be throwing chairs at his head. <laughs> Anyway, it just—it'd be great to hear him say, "Like guys, we'll never hit our AOP for FY23. I want new KPIs to get us to our OKRs by COB today. I have adjusted your MBOs to the new plan, but none of you, except me, will get your bonus this year." <laughs> That's what he's going to be saying to these guys. Okay, now it's Manchester United time. Now I know that Manchester United had a good result this weekend, and they—they—they they, they, they could have crushed those guys yesterday. But I got to talk about the Sevilla game because you're at, you're two nothing up. You're in Europe. You're playing at Old Trafford. Your your Rashford scored what 160 goals this year. This Sabitzer kid comes off the bench, scores two great goals. Manchester United scores four goals in the game. All of, except there's one problem. The other two goals they scored were on those goals. Yeah. So. Sevilla, by the way, doesn't even want to be there because they're in this brutal relegation battle back in Spain. So they're like, us two nothing. We're just going to mail it in and go back home. We're going to stay up and we'll try to get back here next year. Okay. So you had this like, the first goal was the kid played the ball in like to the back corner of the six yard box. Now De Gea never comes off his line anyway. But the, the left back for United, I've never even seen anything like this at this level. The, the left back at United, like, has it in front of him, and it goes over his head. So rather than fall it, you're keeping his back to his goal, like, I don't know what you're supposed to freaking do, he turns his back and faces the goal. The, there's an attacker on the other side. De Gea says nothing. Same goalkeeper coach as our U.S. keeper, I guess. The guy's facing the goalkeeper. So then he goes, oh, shit, the guy's there. This guy just whacks one. And he basically, I mean, it was a great finish right over to Haya's head, hits him off the left foot, bang, upper 90. So it's two to one. 
Okay. But it was horrific defending. If UEFA didn't, wouldn't sue us, Ryan, we could show it right now, but it was pretty bad. UEFA likes to yell at us. Yes. The other, the other goal, which gives me much pleasure because I can't handle this slab head defender McGuire. I think he's a donkey. I mean, he's got a forehead, like a drive-in movie theater. You know, it looks like an orange and a toothpick, this guy's head. I mean, it's just like, you know, and he's horrifically bad. He's extremely arrogant. Um, but this guy goes up the, late in the game. He goes up to head the ball, and it's going like 10 feet wide. I mean, out almost for a throw-in. And Slabhead turns around, and it bounces off his forehead. It is number 90. 2-2. Two, two. But to make matters even better, Ten Hog, who, you know, walks on water because, you know, Manchester United is only, what, 28 points behind Arsenal? Ten Hag had pulled out Fernandez to because he thought he was going to get a red card, even though he was suspended anyway for the next leg. He couldn't have played anyway. So he pulls him out to, quote, unquote, rest him. They have an injury. They have to play with 10 men for the last 10 minutes of the game. So, you know, again, I, you guys are coaches. I have to I have to ask your opinion here. When a team – I mean, you got that problem – so you got Chelsea, you got a team of talent that's struggling. We've all had that. And then you got Manchester United, who the guy has done a better job, but makes a mistake like that. That just can't happen. I mean, I I have to think that there's a lot of pressure when it comes to being a, a manager at Manchester United. Like, nobody's ever going to be Alex Ferguson, right? Like, it's just never going to happen again, I don't think, in our, our lifetime. Every mistake that you make is just completely blown out of proportion. Like, and it's like this in the Premier League in general. The number of managers that have been sacked this year—I know we've gone over this on a previous show. Yeah, like it's a lot, and for some of them, it's for mistakes that are much smaller than this one. Yeah, right. Like this one's a big one. I think you. It is blown up a little bit, but I think it's a big deal when you already know that guy's not going to play in the next game because of card accumulation, yeah. right? Like, you're, you've got to look at your bench. You've got to see what's out there. Maybe he thought he had something tactically prior to that injury that he needed to address, but I just well, – he, he had a two-goal lead at home in Europe. I would say that's something tactically you got to address, yes. But it reminded me <laughs> not against that team, though. It reminded me like it was against Nottingham Forest, right? Well, it reminds me. Well, they were playing Sevilla, so but I mean, Sevilla. My Sorry. point is that it's like you know a young basketball coach calling the extra timeout late in the game and getting a, getting a technical foul, or like a yeah. patty having a <clears throat> golf club in the bag. You got you got it, or, or a goalkeeper getting chipped from fifty yards. The first, as a professional, you got to remember your first job. If you're a goalkeeper, your first job is not to play off your line. Your first job is to not let goals in. If you're the coach, your job is to make sure that you have 11 people on the field <laughs> because that helps you win more games. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know, Deutsch, or, or coach, if you guys think of anything. Go ahead, Greg. No, I, think, I, think, I think it's a major mistake, I, I think, uh, especially at that level. Right. Oh, I mean, especially that level. As I mean, it's. I don't know how much more you can say. Right. That's it's. Fine. Well, Sevilla, they were done. Done until they got the lifeline. Yeah. 
right? And all of a sudden, they gave him a reason to play. It happens at every level. The game is over. I mean, one of our games this year against a big rival, we're up 2-0, and things are going fine. One of my best players made just a blunder, and all of a sudden, they score a goal, and game on now for the last five or ten minutes. It, I mean, you see it at every level. It, well, it's, you know, it's a both, scripted sport. Our game is of, very scripted. Both so. of those goals, though, being own goals. Yeah, but for, for whatever. So yeah. weird. So weird. Totally. Very true. Very true. Yeah. But, I mean, this has been a weird year anyway. Look at Liverpool beating Man United 7-0 and turn around the next game lose 1-0 at Bournemouth. Why does everybody have to bring that up? Everybody's got to bring that 7-0 football. Well, <laughs> American hey, football but we hadn't seen Liverpool. Come on. We hadn't seen them play like that all year. Oh, yeah. No, Boa, Boa's never going to let me made. live that one down, Coach. Yeah, That's well, I'm, I'm a Liverpool <laughs> fan as well. So. Yeah, Memorial Day. I knew you were good looking, Coach. I like <laughs> Memorial, Memorial Day will be my favorite weekend this year because it will be the last game of this horrific season. But anyway, that's enough about Barnum and Bailey FC. I did want to say one thing, though. The Tin Hog was pretty funny because it was asked that why he pulled Fernandez off. He goes, well, you know, I did the yellow, the red thing, blah, blah, blah. But he said, in my part of Holland, uh, we have an expression that you don't look a cow in the ass. Did you guys read <laughs> Yeah, I'd never heard. I'd never heard this expression. Oh, actually. my. It's funnier in Dutch. <laughs> but wow. it, it it's basically means you can't push your luck. Yeah. So if you look at Cal in the ass, he might, you know, give you something yeah. you don't want. But I thought that was very, very funny. He said, Why are my part of Holland? <laughs> so he basically an idiom for well, I mean, did you think that uh Arteta's boys uh were gonna win the other day when they were up two nil in the first oh. twelve minutes? Two games in a row. Yeah, it's crazy. So now, yeah, now you got man, you know, you know what what uh, every coach in Europe said that Manchester City is the best team in the world for the past ten years. They just haven't won the European Cup, which they will change this year. They're going to win the European Cup, period. So that, you got them. You got four points. They play each other in two weeks, which is going to be incredible, right? They call it an old six pointer. The English guys used to call it an old six pointer when you were that. And close. was Man City's won what five in a row? I, I don't I can't remember the last time they lost. I mean, they put that se- well, they put that seven spot up on Leipzig, right? Like, and then beat Burnley by six. When was Liverpool that? That was, four one. That's, that's yeah. from like March forward. I think they've won every game. You know, well, it was interesting. Uh, interesting the other day, Newcastle getting thumped. Yeah, three nothing by yeah. Villa. Yeah, yep. yeah. And you know, Villa's in sixth place. That's crazy. Brighton um, are they seven now? They're, I mean, they're right there. They're yeah. not the door for the big Euro, for the Europa League, the second tier. But um, you know, it's interesting too about City. You know, Holland. I get it. He's great. He's six foot twelve. He scores lots of goals. But Kevin De Bruyne, guys, if you have a son, isn't that who you want him to be as a football player? He's he's now got. He's the only player other than Ryan Giggs, who had 162 assists at Manchester United. De Bruyne is the only player ever. Behind gigs to have a hundred assists for the same club. That's crazy. Wow. And there's been some good players in that league. So he's a good, he's a good freaking player. So anyway, enough about that. So my next question, coaches, is there's a club called AZ Alkmaar. And I, I gotta start footnoting this stuff as a history major. I can't believe or where I wrote where I read this, but I gotta give whoever found this credit. I think they're Turkish. 46% of the players that come from their youth side are sold 
or play for their own first team eventually. Okay. So I know that like the MLS is so boring. It could put a crack addict to sleep. I get it. But at some point, don't, don't we have to make that? I mean, Greg Deutsch, we have this conversation all the time about let's get the American kids in there instead of bringing over some third string Panamanian goalkeeper. We got to commit or quit. I mean, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, I, I think it's the pro reg, right? As far as if you know in the MLS you lose, it's okay. Right. Right. You're not going down. You don't get relegated. I still got a job. I still got a job. You know, I, I, yeah. I get 50,000 people in Atlanta. Owner's happy. So make the open cup worth more money. U.S. Open Cup is the answer to all our problems. I'm telling you, it'd be awesome. I mean, I I just think you know when you said that, Ryan, the first thing that comes to my mind, three hundred thousand dollars. That's what you're playing for. It's not right? even worth it for the exactly. Yeah, it, it, it's worth it for anybody in USL Championship, NISL, if they yeah. happen to sneak their way through, like. UPSL teams, whatever, like right. it's worth it for, or, or even like if like some regional league, like the OVPL, yeah. for example, like they have a team that creeps through and all of a sudden everybody's there. Like, but like we're, and we're going to attend the, we're going to attend an open <laughs> cup match next week. Right. Like that's our plan. But, but, but um, what I was going to say, the bigger, the bigger picture to me is for a million bucks. Right. This yeah. tournament in North Carolina is about to happen. I think they've got their what four more teams to go, Ryan? Maybe for, uh, to, to fill out the thirty-two. So. Oh, the, the seven aside thing. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah, for a million dollars. A million dollars. Like what? Why are like? And the thing is, is we're more interested. And I, I've tried to like not be as interested in it. I'm more interested. I, like I know that sounds awful, but I'm I'm more interested in this than I am the Open Cup. And I'm like, sure. I'm Jones. I Jones for the Open Cup every time it comes around. I'm like, oh, here comes the Open Cup again, and I get super excited about it every time. And I'm let down by the MLS sides every time. Yeah, like it never fails that I'm like, oh, come on, they're not even putting like their their best players out there because they don't care. They're just trying to get guys minutes. They're using it as exhibitions. And yeah. like, the MLS has not been very kind to our uh, collegiate <laughs> players and or what is it, the the younger guys. I know FC Dallas had a time where they got some of their players, but a lot of our young guys are getting cheated. Um just but the other side of that is there's a lot of kids going to Europe now and other places to to hone their skills and well was, and that was gonna come that was gonna happen it just takes time well the and for me it's the it has a lot to do with the players association in my mind when the when the roster rules in MLS changed to where more foreign players could be on the rosters for each team and then the open cup got rid of the US player restriction like it changes the American players like that want to stay and play here. You could but, go. Yeah. Play and, elsewhere. And Ryan, you and I've talked about this. So you got to go from, you know, either college or the Academy. And if you don't make the Academy, you're going to be in that USL yep. system, right? Yep. Hoping, hoping 
you can go over to Europe to come back to play in the MLS, right? Yeah, or you just a weird triangle. You hope and pray that your USL two match actually gets streamed on the internet because the league requires it, right? And you have some crazy highlight that happens to get you seen by someone. And you know, yeah, and and you know, guys, definitely in Serie C in Italy, and I think in Serie B, I don't think foreigners are allowed. Oh, that I know it's for sure in the C, but the B, I think, where they have like you know AC Milan B or AC Milan two or whatever, I'm pretty sure they got to be Italian born. Well, Detective so, Ryan will find that out for I'm us. I'm already on it right now. Yeah. So, so keep talking. I, I did want to end up because I go watch. I like going out of the house to watch the big games because it's just because I don't really do anything else except watch soccer and and ask people to pay me on time. Um, so <laughs> I'd like to end, end here with the, with the Champions League and just I try to use so many analogies for American sports with people that are enthusiastic about global football, but they just don't get it. The first thing you got to do is you got to care. Okay. The second thing you got to do is have an internet connection. Okay. Because if you have an internet connection, you can go to YouTube and there is so much free stuff on there that'll you can be, you can fall in love with this game in six minutes. So there, here's my analogy for the Champions League. See how you guys feel about this. I dropped this on some guy the other night, and the light bulb went on. <laughs> imagine there's 50 U.S. 48 lower U.S. states. Okay, so imagine in every state in the United States you had an NFL. So you had 30 teams in each state: Mississippi, California, New Jersey. Okay, every state. You have to win the Super Bowl in your state to then go to the big Super Bowl, which would be the whole big thing. And the guy's like, oh, that would be really fucking hard. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, well, how come, you know, you have two Italian teams playing? I was like, okay, that's a really good question. So we know how in college football, you have Texas, Florida, Alabama, you know, Notre Dame, you have big states, big areas. And we know that no college football team from New Jersey or Maine is ever going to win it. So New Jersey and Maine would be like Irish football and uh, Vatican City and Luxembourg where they get no Champions League teams, okay, or they can qualify in. Whereas Texas or Florida would get four or California would get six. He's like, oh, so so the, so the teams are different levels. I'm like, yes, but there's an NFL in every freaking country in Europe. He's like, well, there's only like five or six countries in Europe. I'm like, oh, God. (laughs) There's a lot more than that, Mr. Putin. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So anyway, my point is, if you you try to use these American analogies, they work sometimes, but but it worked with this guy. He goes, oh, so yeah. So so like England's better. I'm like, yeah, you have England, Italy, and Spain, and kind of Germany. And then everything else kind of drops off. But, you know, France only gets two teams. Scotland only gets one team. Ireland gets zero. England gets four, and that'll change. If you don't perform, UEFA will take a, a, a team away and give it to another. So, like the Italians, for instance, they're doing really well again, like they did in the 80s. So that's a really good story. But I just wanted to throw that out there again. A, you have to, you have to care. And B, you can find out. There's so much free information. So, Things are changing. They're they're definitely getting better. I remember the story years ago about the two little old ladies that 
got to the World Cup final in like the 85th minute. It's tied 0-0, and they look at each other and said, oh, look, we haven't missed anything. Yeah. Yeah. I love that, that, that uh, story because um, they were, the baseball people are really the hardest on soccer. I used to think it was American football people, but I think it's the baseball people. It's so boring. It's zero, zero. I'm like, how much money would you have given to be sitting there when Nolan Ryan threw a no hitter? Yeah. Well, that's different. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah that's a pitcher's duel. The, the two people, the two people touched the ball the entire game. <laughs> So anyway, thank you, Ryan. Thank you, Coach, for being here. Great thank you, guys. Again. Hey, we've come a long way, and we got a long way to go, but it's been it's been fun. I've got a Serie C and Serie B answer as well already. Okay. So C does not have any foreign players. Okay. B allows them, but it's limited. There's a total currently, if I'm looking at the rosters correctly, of about 80 in the whole league. Okay. Um, and then Serie A can – do what they want. Pretty much do whatever they want. There is actually a foreign player rule in Syria as well. Thank y'all very much for having me. This has been a blast. Thank you, Dave, for being on. I really appreciate it. Gladly. You guys too. Hope we catch up again soon. Yes, thank you. Take us home, Greg. Safe travels, guys. All right. Thanks for listening and watching the Three Old Goalies. Be sure to join us next time. Just like, subscribe so you don't miss out on any of our great content. You can follow us on Instagram or Twitter. Can't get enough of the Three Old Goalies? Be sure to check us out at www.3oldgoalies.com.